A lot of people view frontline jobs in sectors like manufacturing and retail as short-term gigs with limited potential. So how do you change their minds? How do you create clear pathways for frontline workers to grow and develop their careers within your company? My name is Kwesi Thomas, and today we're joined by Steve Turner, Head of Global Learning at John Deere. Steve, can you tell me a bit about yourself and welcome? Sure. Um, thanks. Um, I've been working kind of in the learning slash education space for over 30 years. Um, I spent 18 years as an educator. And then the last 12, I've been in corporate learning at um, multiple Fortune 500 companies like Walmart, Texas Instruments, Fidelity Investments, and now I'm currently at John Deere. Can you tell me a bit about John Deere? What's the makeup of the of the of the team like? And what's the makeup of the team like at John Deere? Sure. So I lead uh, the we call it our global center of excellence for learning skills and knowledge management. And so my team is made up of about five people, and we support all seventy thousand John Deere employees, um, focused on skills, knowledge management, learning ecosystem, and production. The seventy thousand is that primarily because of manufacturing, is it distribution, is it sales? Like where do, where does that makeup of seventy thousand come from? Yeah, so we have thirty five thousand um, salaried workers, and we have about thirty five thousand production workers. So we're pretty split, pretty evenly. You know, salaried workers are uh, a big part of what I support. You know, and that's mostly you know technical people, engineers. Um, any business functions like financial, uh, things like that. We, we support all those different business areas. And then on the production side, we're supporting, you know, um, a labor workforce that part of it is union and part of it is non-union. So it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic and, um, we're, we're excited about some of the things that we can, we're starting to do in the production side. Sure. As we talk today, one of the things I'll probably pick your brain about is the difference is between how you deliver learning for your salaried workers and necessarily how you deliver learning for your labor force, right? I'm sure there's some nuances and some some differences there. Do you find there's a difference or by way off? Um, I think it's it's very different. Um, I feel like it's it's not an equitable environment. Um, you know, when you're in a factory, it's it's a lot harder to find time to learn, um, opportunities to learn. So I think, you know, to me, you know, the stuff we, we have for our salaried workforce is very much kind of self-directed and we give you opportunities to choose from a number of different premium options. You know, we give you tuition reimbursement and we also, you know, focus on future skills that we know you're going to need to develop to keep the business relevant. Um, on the front line, though, we see it, there's multiple personas, you know, within our frontline workforce, you have our new employees who are really onboarding and trying to get to basic proficiency. Then we have our employees that have been in a role for a while and they're really, you know, they're focused on mastery of getting better at what they're doing and also developing new skills because John Deere, we're pushing a smart industrial strategy. So all the stuff um, in our factories is in the process of getting automated. We're adding more robotics. It's, you know, so as a person in the factory, your job is really changing from what it previously was. So we want to make sure that those people are upskilled and have the opportunity to master their role. Um, and then we have a couple other personas in, in the factory too, where one is people who are interested in moving around or moving, you know, into a supervisor type roles within the factory. 
So, you know, we, we want to try to focus on giving them opportunities to, you know, cross train and also leadership development opportunities. Um, and then the last group is people in, the, in our factories that are interested in moving to the salaried workforce at John Deere. And that's, you know, a completely different kind of learning journey that we want to create for them. That was more diverse than I was expecting, which is in a, in a really good way in terms of the, the personas, the types of learning you're having to do, et cetera. Do you find you have to deliver learning in a different way? Because I'm assuming your salary workers have more access to, like they're at a desk, they're at a computer, or they have more readily access to that, you know, where you can hop onto an online course, so you can log into your learning platform. How do you how do you adjust that for the people who necessarily are not desk bound? Yeah, that's it's a really good question. Uh, so we're kind of at the beginning of this journey where my team's kind of starting to build what we think is more of a modern learning environment in the production space. Um, prior, to, I've only been at John Deere for about two years. And so, and this has only been the last probably eight months that this has been in my space of we need you to create a strategy. You know, in, in the past, things that have been done are, I would call them lift and shifts, where they, whatever we built for salary, we'll just put it in the factory too and, and good luck. And I just didn't feel like that was the right approach. Um, so we started from a data-driven approach and really, you know, user-centric or user experience design, I should say, and trying to, you know, do empathy interviews, focus groups, looking at survey data and trying to say, you know, what are the things that, you know, our production workers really need and want? And then how do we create the environment where they actually can learn in those ways? Because, you know, it, it's almost impossible to tell somebody, you know, who's in the factory, like, you need to study for your... Um, nightly um, exam that you're going to take tonight in your online class versus, you know, if I'm a salary worker, you can carve out time in your day to do that. You don't have the same opportunities. So it's like, you know, you have to find ways to make it where we're very intentional about giving time. If we're going to say we're putting you through a program, you know, how do we make it the, the most frictionless experience possible? and make it where it's, it's, you know, um, you have the guidance and the coaching that you need to get through any type of upskilling or development programs, if you want to do that. And so that's, that's kind of what we're working on right now. Um, it's, you know, it's all in process right now. We're in our first phase and we're implementing a couple of pilots with different technology, um, really testing out what actually works in the, um, production environment and trying out some new and different tools. But one positive thing is we got funding, which is always a big deal. It's usually the hardest part sometimes, right? Interestingly enough, I, you know, in recognition, we see this often with the sort of lift and, you know, just whatever we did for the, the desk, we were doing for the desk, the people are not working at the desk. And that, you know, so often it doesn't work, especially for these companies, like where they have 50, 60, 80% of their workforce that are not at a computer, if you're in retailers, you're in manufacturing, et cetera. And so finding the ways to help people get access to similar, I don't want to say same, similar opportunities to do the, or, or access to the um, learning or recognition that they need to is often and really hard for companies. Often if we find them, you know, going back away from technology in some ways because technology hasn't figured this out. Yeah, we're still working its way through it. So, um, yeah, we see often people are still using, you know, paper or cards or handing out something physical. And there are, there are ways to deal with technology, but I think technology is rapidly catching up for those people who are not at a desk. Um, cool. I'll just skip gears for a second and, you know, go where I was supposed to at the start. 
which is asking a bit more about you. <laughs> um, but uh, can you tell me what would be the number one thing that helped you grow and develop over the course of your career? Sure. Um, I really think, you know, I would say it's adapting to change. Um, I've been married for about 20 years. Um, and right after I came back from my honeymoon, um, I was working in a private school and, um, my role was basically given away when I was on my honeymoon to another person who had a higher level of education than me. They had a, um, education technology master's degree. So I came back and basically my job was gone and I was put into a role of, you know, substitute teacher. And so I did that for about six months. And then ultimately the person who took my role, she hated it and I got my role back. But at that time I kind of determined, you know, I don't have any control over when change is going to happen or how it's going to happen. What I can do though, is prepare myself for it. And I, I, I really like that book who moved my cheese. If you've ever read that, it's a nice little short book. Um, you know, I want to keep my running shoes on, you know, like the mice in the story, always anticipating change, monitoring change. You know, if my cheese is moving, I want to know it and I want to be prepared for what I'm going to do about it. So adapting to that change quickly, that's, that's what I, I do. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've moved so frequently once I got into the corporate world, because I, I, I realized, you know, I want to be the place where I can make an impact. And if I'm not making an impact, it's not really, um, honestly, much fun <laughs> for me to work. So I, I try to find the places I can make the most impact. And that's given me a lot of opportunities. I love that answer. You know, I, I use the, the, the word add value. If I can add value, I'm bored. I don't want to be there. I want to add value. Recognition can help you to engage, retain, and develop your people. Find out more about how we can help you, particularly how we can help you with your frontline workers. Book a demo at gusto.com. What are some of the things you've implemented to drive your career at John Deere or other companies that you found particularly effective? You know, one of the things we're doing at Deere is we call it our Grow at Deere initiative. And the first thing that we're doing is we're trying to um, really evolve our organization into a skills-based organization. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One, it creates transparency about, you know, different roles of, uh, what are the skills that you need to get this job, you know, and, and also, you know, what does success look like? And that's not always clear. And so we want to kind of open that up and then, you know, look at it from a more, um, I would say diverse perspective of, you know, what skills do we have in our workforce? You know, what, what skills are prepped to actually evolve into skills of the future and then which ones are already diminishing and that we need to be looking at uh, the people that are in these roles and starting to reskill them, you know, as rapidly as possible. So that um, Grow a Deer is really kind of starting by laying the foundation with the right technology to do that and then setting it up where we're giving people enough guidance and coaching to see what their opportunities are. We're using a lot of AI type platforms that will actually give you, based on your skill set, once you've you know documented it, um, what are the opportunities I have in John Deere? And one of the things about us is we're a flat organization. There's not a lot of up. So in order to develop yourself, you have to move around. And you know internal mobility is a big thing that we're focused on. And we've also found that people are much more engaged when they're developing new skills. And um, I like to think of it as future-proofing them too. So if we can future-proof our employees, they're happier, they're prepared for the future. And then also John Deere, we're able to meet our needs in terms of 
what we need to do to meet our strategic objectives. How do you get engagement in the learning programs up and steady? Like there's one thing growing it and there's nothing keeping people engaged. Um, I've seen people use all sorts of methods. Um, uh, but what do you find particularly effective to get people engaged in the programs? And then when they're there, keep them engaged. One of the things that we do is we try to focus on, you know, um, anything that we do in learning programs, it's relevant. Um, we try to give people the big picture. We try to keep it contextual. We, um, we really try to use, there's a framework called durable learning that MIT and Accenture came up with. It's like eight different components, you know, social assessment. So we try to utilize that and look at our programs. So that's the first thing is we try to build it very instructionally sound, but also, you know, focused on how do we make this, you know, the best possible experience, not just um, consuming a bunch of content. So that's, that's the first thing we do. And then the second thing we do is we use um, pretty much we're agile in everything that we do. And so we try to deliver prototypes. Um, we do a lot of pilots. And ultimately, we try to um, gather data to say, you know, how is this, how is the end user, you know, uh, how do they feel about this program? So we use things like a net promoter score. We use um, customer um, effort score for when we talk about platforms and things like that. And ultimately, we lay out of uh, this is this is the right net promoter score. You know, we're going to say this needs to be at a 70, which is a pretty good net promoter score. And once we actually hit that, after we keep iterating, then we say that's that's a program that we feel like we've transformed and we're ready to move on to you know the next thing. But that, you know, because we're actually taking the um, inputs from different learners, it helps to uh, keep them engaged because they, they, they like the programs when it's actually being tailored to what they need and what they want. So I know you've been in in learning space for a while. Have you seen the programs that have sort of the incentives tied to them? Like, you know, whether it's points or incentives or some sort of program to help drive people to the program, did you find those effective? Did you, you know, not find those effective? Do you still employ those types of tactics? I think, I think there's, you know, different things, types of incentives I think can be very effective. Um, I can say when I was at Walmart, um, now Walmart, it's a different culture. You know, it was a very competitive culture. Like, you know, the one thing that at Walmart that we heard all the time from our leaders was, you know, how do we win? We want to be number one, you know, that type of thing. And they are, they were fortune one for when the time I was working there. Um, but with that culture, we found that adding gamification and then kind of rewards tied to that gamification really pushed people to one, compete against each other because um, they love leaderboards. And then two, competing for the prize. You know, so it was very effective and that Walmart culture, we used it in our logistics area, um, just uh, adding gaming elements to different types of learning. And there's some really good platforms out there that you can do that with. Um, so, yeah, I think it can be effective in the right environment. Yeah, interesting enough, whenever I have sort of that conversation about, you know, gamification or some of these like reward programs, there's always that concern that I get back from leaders or from other, you know, HR professionals about the extreme, which is, hey, then, you know, people will pick up a pencil unless you give them an incentive now. And there's a happy balance in there where you can, especially as a growing up program, if you can use the right incentives, the right um, gamification to help the program, you know, start rolling and rolling the right way and then maintain it, there's, you know, it can be really effective. But, you know, uh, uh, your answer was bad. I, I love that. Um, primarily because you 
you know, what I heard from you was it it was based on the culture and we had Walmart had a, a competitive culture. So it made sense for them. Whereas in some other cultures might be slightly different where it may not work the same way for them. So that was, that, that was cool. I think too, like the words matter too. In how do you set that up? One of the, one of the things that, that when I was at Fidelity, it was great. We had all these rewards for kind of engaging in different things, but there was so much friction because you had to award points to people and you had to get so many points to buy anything. And it was just really, you know, you would forget about it after a while. And it really wasn't, didn't feel like it was a value add to me, to my employee experience. Um, I think if they could have removed some of that friction and gave more of those immediate rewards, I think it would have been much more successful. Um, so I, I think it, you know, it depends. Doing it the right way makes more, more I think, impact too. Yeah, completely. I, I, I've seen, often seen, even in the recognition space, people who have created programs that are almost almost too complex to be effective. It, it, you know, it's kind of like you know, you're giving out a $20 gift card and you've got three layers of approvals up to a VP to give out a $20 card. It's stagnant. It's kind of, and it's, it stalemates. The, it makes the program go stale. Um, and you see those, you know, so much of these things, I think probably similar in learning development. So much of it is in the design work, which often gets rushed through and sometimes forced, you know, forced out where if you can get the design done and tweak it and learn it and fail at it and get it better and better, these programs recognition, I'm assuming the same thing with learning, can be very effective, but that design work is what's really important and being able to test and change things, you know, which a lot of larger companies have a hard time doing because they rolled it out for 70,000 people. So you can't pull it back and change it easily, right? I think you're exactly right. That's one of the kind of the principles that I use is I think we have to be a test and learn in learning, but I think it works in almost anything that you do. You know, you test and you see if it works in your environment. And if it's not working in your environment, uh, it doesn't mean that you just boot it and that's it. That was one of the things that happened to us a lot at Walmart. Um, we try something innovative and it didn't work immediately. So then we were done with that. And then anytime somebody else tried to innovate in the future in the same way, we already did that. You know, we don't need to, we don't need to go down that road again. We, we try to do virtual learning and this was pre pandemic and every one of our facilitators hated us because we were going to take away their traveling found it was a 91% savings. And then come 2020, the pandemic hit and everybody went to virtual learning and that's all we had. And the same people that I saw that hated it, they were very much um, excited about that we could still do training because we adapted, you know, to the, and so I think it's going to be hard to go back from that. I, th I still think there's just a, you know, you got to find the best combination of in-person and um, virtual components. What is, what is your, what is, I don't see your ideal, but you know, Nobody's giving you a budget. You have full approval. You can do whatever programs you want. What what do you build for a lear for a learning program? I have nothing. I said, hey, let's start building a program. It's got frontline workers employed, yeah, it, it, mainly in the program. What do you what do you want to do with that? Where do you where, where does your mind take you? I don't know if that kind of question excites you or terrifies you, but it <laughs> no, it's very much what I've gotten to do with frontline at John Deere is you know here's an opportunity. Um, it came directly from our CEO when we gave our yearly review. He said, what are you doing for production? And we really didn't have much. And so I was able to hire somebody. But I, I think, you know, starting from scratch is a, is a different thing. And you really need to think about, you know, what can I, what do these people that are learning in this environment want? How do we create opportunities for them to learn that are valuable, you know, and remove all the friction possible? Um, and so that's for us, it's, it's, 
adding devices. It's adding quiet spaces where people can learn. It's bringing, you know, community colleges on site to actually teach um, so people don't have to go to class. They actually can do it at work. You know, things like that are the things that we're trying to work towards in the future because we want to make learning as part of everything that we do. Uh, we're, we're investigating right now these programs in mechatronics, which I didn't even know what that was until I started working at John Deere. And, um, but there are, there are programs that we could bring internally and upskill all of our frontline workers on being able to use, you know, kind of the cross between mechanical and electrical engineering and robotics and automation and all that kind of falls into that mechatronics. And that's where we, you know, that's the future for us because our, our factories are all being um, upgraded to what we call smart industrial factories. So as much automation and, and robotics as we can get into the factory, we're trying to do that, but it takes a different type of workforce. So as we're, as we're sort of wrapping, you know, there was a lot that we talked about that I, I found interesting. I think, you know, the work you're doing in Frontline at John Deere and sort of the, you know, building it into the culture and some of the things you mentioned probably in passing, like building air, quiet areas and, and, and really looking at how you make this work for them, not just for the company, not just for the general salary worker was really uh, insightful. I appreciate that. I think I learned quite a bit myself today as well. Thank you for listening. If you got some values from this podcast and want to help other companies improve their culture, leave us a rating and a review. It helps us get the word out. And if you'd like to start your recognition journey or want some advice about the recognition journey you're already on, speak to one of our recognition experts today at Gusto.com. Mucho gusto.